welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Thank you. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm a sexaholic. Happy to be a sexaholic because I know what I am now. My sobriety date is November 23rd, 1990. Uh, I guess a little of my story. Uh, I was born into um, a, the perfect loving family that... Um, uh, no problems in the family until after I got in recovery and started seeing a few things that, uh, uh, and discovering a few things about my family that uh, uh, were maybe not quite so normal. A grandfather who was a twin, but his twin sister was 10 years younger than him because uh, for a second marriage, um, she dropped 10 years from her age and dropped the fact that she had a child so that she could marry the man she wanted. Um, we'd go to visit and remember, you can't say anything about, uh, you know, your aunt to being a twin. Um, various stories like that, uh, that, um, I found out later we were we were a um, an assorted family. Um, I had two older brothers; they were five and six years older than I, and uh, they were the boys. And then uh, stillborn sister, and then I came along, and so it was the boys and David. Uh, never quite knew how to handle that, um, and. Uh, um, for most of my growing up, it was like being an only child because the the boys were grown and gone, and so uh, many of the dynamics. I was an only child. Um, I was sexually molested at about eight by an adult neighbor, and we moved. But uh, he would pick me up in the summer, and I'd go visit for a week or so, and. Uh, more, more of that stuff. Um, at the time, uh, I didn't know it was abuse. Uh, it was exciting. It was, it felt strange and good and bad at the same time. And it kind of hurt and it kind of didn't. And he said, we can't tell anybody about this or we'll get in trouble. And uh, he didn't have to say that because I knew it. Um, and uh, it wasn't until many years later I discovered that uh, I wouldn't have gotten in trouble because I uh, could did not give my permission. I couldn't give my permission for that to happen. And 
the word, you know, I was abused by a neighbor. Yeah, it was, he was good at it. He was a good perpetrator and knew how to do it gently and sneakily. But in another context, it was very violent and stole my innocence. And uh, uh, I've finally been able to be angry about that. Um, then my older brother, one of my older brothers, um, molested me also and uh, tried to tell my mother about um, what was going on. And she just couldn't hear it. Uh, I tried to tell her that um, this man was, was doing things to me and then I was I was masturbating and uh, all she heard was that I was doing things to myself and says, well, don't do them anymore. Um, I found out that she had been um, a victim of incest and uh, just didn't have the skills or the tools to tell me what to do. So she didn't hear it. Uh, through all that, I became um, uh, fascinated by men's parts, but also animal parts and all kinds of people parts. Um, and in junior high, I had a neighbor friend that we did a lot of sexual experimenting and um, in high school, he outgrew it, and I didn't outgrow it. Uh, I was um, I was sick as a child a lot, and masturbation was my best friend. If I was angry, tired, lonely, anything, I went to masturbation, and um, uh, that became a, a daily thing. Um, it became uh, an excitement thing. Uh, at school, we had little rooms uh, in the, the core of the band area for practicing, and I could masturbate in there and get away with it. I could masturbate in other places, public um, places, and, and get away with it, and nobody knew. And uh, a lot of adrenaline there that was very exciting. Um, when I got my driver's license, I went back to my abuser and um, um, it was it was not a, an exciting time and yet it was a very exciting time. It, you know, I didn't want to be with him. He was an old man, but uh, I was trying to recapture that those first times when I felt important and needed and wanted. Uh, and those first times when I was needed and wanted, I don't know whether uh, that was because I was uh, a, um, an on in the making and wanting to please and, and help and, and be nice, or whether I was an S.A., um, interested in the sex. Um, throughout my life, I have been at both ends of that. Um, uh, the the sexual addict and the uh, Essanon, uh, trying to please, trying to do, trying to control, um, and often don't know which is which. 
but I know that um, um, my life was was going downhill rapidly. I never dated in high school. Uh, I went to the prom with uh, two different girls. Um, you know, the junior prom um, was with a um, a girl that uh, nobody was going to take, and I couldn't stand her. But uh, she asked me to go, and well, I had to go because she asked me, and um, I was embarrassed to be there. Uh, my senior prom, I took uh, a girl that I was um, kind of interested in. Uh, I wasn't dating. I was wife shopping. Um, good boys in my church um, got married and had kids, and so I I had to wife shop. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't go out with a girl that was a different religion. I couldn't go out with one that was too rich or too poor. Uh, you know, I had to, I had to be shopping all the time. So I only went out with a couple of, of uh, girls uh, in high school. In college, I started going to uh, uh, rest areas, buying a little bit of pornography, but I was very, very cheap. Um, I would buy it and act out and throw it away and then go dumpster diving and getting in the barrels and getting it back out. And sometimes in areas I would uh, find other pornography that somebody had thrown away. Uh, And went to college and flunked out because I majored in cards and and, um, I majored in bridge, I think. Um, Then uh, was working and um, met a young woman. Met her on a Thursday night. By Sunday, we were engaged um, because she was the perfect woman and was going to save me from all of this. And we didn't get married until about um, three months later. And... um, uh, we had sex one time before marriage, and it was it was okay. Uh, but marriage was going to solve it, and marriage didn't solve it. I st- still needed to um, masturbate. Uh, soon, I was um, still going to adult um, or anonymous sex with men. Uh, fascinated by animals, parts, and. Uh, that continued uh, in my early married life we had one child and we wanted a second child but we're having trouble getting pregnant and the doctor suggested that we only have sex once a week to let the sperm count rise and uh, I couldn't go for a week without acting out and uh, I can remember masturbating and crying that I couldn't not masturbate, um, even though I knew my wife, you know, we wanted children, and um, I was the cause of not having them. Uh, we finally had two other children. Uh, had... Um, uh, I was present in the marriage part of the time. 
physically present, but not emotionally present. Um, marital sex was, was okay, but uh, I still had to go out and masturbate or have anonymous sex. And uh, after about uh, 20 years, my wife asked for a divorce. Um, I don't think she knew anything, but she uh, I was emotionally vacant and... Uh, um, and the funny thing is I was devastated. I, um, you know, I need to be married. I, I can't live alone. And, uh, as soon as I was divorced, um, I just kind of turned around and went, I'll never get married again. I'll never trust another woman. And, um, a little bit of me thought, well, now I can do all those things I wanted to do, but most of me said, I can't do those things I want to do, and yet I was doing those things. I was having anonymous sex, um, sex with animals, sex with um, anything I could get. Um, geographic cure did not work, and... Um, after about um, 15 years, I had a job, I had um, a bank account, I had uh, a church that I was work, 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 working at, and yet I had so many secrets and doing things I didn't want to do, and I thought, I just can't do this. Um, I didn't know how to kill myself, but I knew that if any one thing went wrong, um, I couldn't stand it. And uh, I ended up going to a therapist who gave me a book to read about sexual addiction. And uh, I took it home and I started reading it. And I just sat there crying to discover I wasn't the only one. I wasn't alone. To discover that those people who were you know, I was reading the pornography about how much fun they were having, and the book talked about the people who weren't having that fun, the people who were doing it because they had to, and couldn't wait to get to the group that he was talking about. And uh, went to my therapist, and he said, well, I'll get you the phone number, and went the next week. And, no, oh, I didn't get the phone number, but I will this week. And then he got me a phone number, and I called, and it was an answering machine, and said, I'm looking for a, a group that, that that has some problems that, that need help. And I got a call back. Um, we don't know anything about a group. <laughs> It was a wrong number, and um, I was working in um, in Oklahoma City at the time, and um, I looked in the phone book and found Sexaholics Anonymous listed, and I called, and uh, a man answered and told me there was a meeting on uh, Friday night, uh, the night after Thanksgiving, and. Um, I was working in, in Oklahoma City, but uh, living uh, about uh, 110 miles away and working out of my home part of the time and traveling around the state part of the time. And so I uh, couldn't wait for, third, for the, um, 
Friday to come. Um, Friday, I um, got ready to go to the meeting. Of course, I had to act out um, before I went and uh, got to the meeting. And uh, it was in a terrible part of town in a kind of ratty building. And I drove around and finally got the courage to go in. And there were about six people. And uh, one was a woman uh, with like five years of sobriety. But she was married, and she was a woman. And there was a man there with about three years of sobriety, but he was married. And then there was a young man there with about nine weeks of sobriety, and he wasn't married, and he had not had sex with himself or anybody else for nine weeks. I mean, wow. I couldn't go three days. And he went nine weeks. Now the book had already prepared me that there was a group and there was there there was hope. And I went in expecting something to happen and I got there and I found hope. And I left that meeting and they said there was another meeting the next morning at 9.30 in the morning. I left that meeting. I drove home. I didn't have to stop on the way home. I didn't have to act out at 70 miles an hour on the turnpike. I didn't have to act out to go to sleep. I set my alarm and got up. I didn't have to act out in the shower. And I made it back to the meeting sober. What had happened? If I'd have talked about sex and thought about sex, and I, I had to act out, and I didn't act out. The only difference was I had hope. I saw some people whose lives were making it. I took that hope, and the next meeting was on a Tuesday. Monday night, I had to be in a hotel over in another town, and I checked into the hotel, and I went into the room, and I didn't have to walk out to get one shoe out of my car and look around, and then walk out to get another shoe and look around, and then walk out. to. I went in the room, and I didn't act out. I didn't have a sponsor yet. I think I have the book. Uh, I didn't act out. And I went to the Thursday meeting, and I got a sponsor. And uh, I talked to some people. We went out for coffee afterwards. I said, how, how does this work? And they kind of explained, and I had no idea what they were talking about. But I just brought myself, brought the body, and started in writing my first step. Uh, the inter this was in November, the end of November. The international convention was in January in Oklahoma City. And so I was scheduled to uh, give my first step at the international convention at a breakout session. And um, I had it written and was ready to give it. And I got to the convention, which was at a hotel that I had acted out in. 
but I got to the convention sober. And um, got there, and my sponsor said, oh, I've got a committee meeting on the, when, when you're scheduled to do your first step, but that's okay. I've asked so-and-so to, to chair your first step. And that was the first panic attack I'd ever had in my life. I just absolutely, this was the last stop on the bus. There were no other stops. This was my last chance. I had to do it right, and he was leaving me. But I got to where I was supposed to do my first step, and the person leading it was there, and there were about eight other people who were willing to give up going to real meetings to come listen to my garbage. And they listened to my first step, and they got done, and they said, thanks, Dave, and they gave me hugs. Wow. I went to the convention, and it was just so exciting. To be in a room with, there must have been 250 people in the room. And, you know, at the final microphone, I just got up and I was, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm Dave, and I'm a sexaholic. <laughs> and they said, thanks, Dave. Wow. Nobody left. Nobody went. Yuck. So I started working this program seriously. <coughs> Very shortly, my sponsor moved to Japan, and I had to get a new sponsor. And uh, I didn't see it as abandonment. I saw it as this is the way the program works. They explained you get a new sponsor. And so I got a new sponsor. Uh, at first, I had wanted the woman who was in the program to be my sponsor, but because uh, I wanted a mother. <laughs> and they said, no, men sponsor men and women sponsor women. So I got a new sponsor um, and started working the steps. Uh, it took me um, a year and a half or so to do a, a, a fourth step, maybe longer than that. Because uh, I had to find the right format. I wasn't sure what format to use, and so I, I had to find the right format and um, did my fourth step. Um, I went to the next convention was in San Diego, and I went to that convention and at a regional retreat in Wichita, Kansas. I had met. Uh, a fellow there who was also going, and um, John D. was going to the convention, and so we were going to room together. And um, so I got to San Diego and got to the hotel and went up to the desk. And um, I'm rooming with John D. Uh, John D. And the lady at the desk in San Diego said, um, we get a lot of Johns here. I didn't know his last name. Uh, and so I had to wait uh, in the lobby until he finally checked in and, and then found him. And uh, 
has made me realize that anonymity is a great thing, but uh, I want people to know my last name. So they're, if they're in, in Oklahoma, they can look in the phone book and call me. Or uh, I want to be able to find people if there's a problem and uh, know how to find them. And so I don't want to be so anonymous that I'm lost. Um, these were conventions at the time. I mean, conferences, not conventions. I misspoke. They were conferences. And um, we had business meetings at each conference. And, um, of course, a, a big big speaker was Roy Kay. Uh, and I was pretty impressed that Roy Kay was there. But um, very shortly, I realized that if you're going to found a program and start a program, um, you've got to be pretty sick. And I think Roy Kay had been pretty sick reading his story and uh, that. And um, he had some opinions and some ways of doing things that uh, I did not necessarily agree with. I can remember um, he would be asked to speak and okay and and they've asked me to speak on the topic of but it's on my heart to talk about something else and he would go off completely on something else and, and give his views um for um a couple of times he he kind of let his um um religious upbringing um, slip in, and um, I know at one conference it seemed more like an altar call at the end where asked people to come down front, and uh, I I walked out of that talk, and um, you know was with, out with a few others standing out murmuring and mumbling. Um, we did respect him for uh, all the work he'd done and everything he'd started, but times we got upset with him. Um, my life started getting better and better, and um, I worked uh, worked those steps. Um, went to a uh, conference in Baltimore. And there was the um, the big um, one of the the times that it, it flared up of of the sobriety definition and went to the business meeting and um, there were people who felt very very strongly in one area and one people who felt very very strongly on the other side and they let their um, views be known, and it was wonderful. In my family, we never argued. If you were wrong, uh, we just shut up and um, withdrew our love. If you did something bad, we shut up and withdrew our love. Um, there were no arguments and no loud, you didn't get loud in our family. You got very, very quiet. And to see people that could get loud, that could have strong viewpoints, that could argue, and at the end of the meeting, 
or at the end of their, their share, thanks for sharing. And at the end of the, the session, they'd hug each other. Wow. It was in SA that I learned how to fight, how to fight decently and correctly, how to disagree with love. Uh, it was just so good. Uh, there were there were some real giants then, and uh, Roy K was one of them. Uh, I remember Roy K and Jess L and um, Jim E were sitting together, and uh, I just had this burning question. I walked up to them and I said, "If." If I end up in a nursing home and kind of senile, will I still be sober? Because a great fear of mine was to be a dirty old man like the one that molested me. And they assured me that if I worked a program, I'd be fine. Um, it's been so great to have people like them around to, to stop and, and ask questions to sit down, to be able to corner them, to take them aside and say, Harvey, what do you think about this? Or uh, yeah. It's been so great to see people who, uh, um, you know, Gordon, who, who made all kinds of not monkey knots and had stories that went with them and was quite an individual. Um, We could be individuals. We could be, we didn't have to be in the same mold. And some were tough as nails. Uh, Jess L was the velvet hammer. And don't cross him. And, uh, you know, Jim or Harry were, were just teddy bears. Um, it, it was just so neat to have them around and, and hear their stories. Uh, Oklahoma City Conference, um, and about that time, um, I'm not sure of the years, but uh, we started having conventions instead of conferences, and um, Roy K. turned the reins of the fellowship over to the fellowship and stepped back, and uh, so... Then we had trustees and we the, the cook committee and all of those things that um, and took the business meetings out of the convention and, or the conference and put them into um, a separate tract and um, had, had the business meetings were separate, which was um, a great thing. Uh, Oklahoma City, um, we had a conference, um, I don't remember the years, um, and I, I chaired that conference and just had all kinds of good support. Uh, and um, um, <laughs> the big thing from that one was um, we had a woman in um, in. A, Oklahoma, uh, who was speaking at that conference, and um, she was an individual, like we've had a lot of individuals, and um, 
she got up and, and just said, um, people have asked what it's like in the disease, what it was like in the disease. And she says, all I can say is, and she stopped. And then she gave this enormous blood-curdling scream that seemed to last for five minutes. The whole hotel shut down. I mean, the rooms next door, people are coming out and looking and wondering what in the world is going on. She really got her point across. But <laughs> after that, everybody was, you know, wondering what was going on. Um, it's it's been fun to watch people do the program their way, um, but within the guidelines of the program. Um, little by little, um, I seem to be getting better, and I didn't recognize it, but other people recognized it, or I recognized it in other people. Uh, I was at a retreat in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, Sylvia came up to me and she says, um, when are you going to start trusting the program? I was uh, in that part in the white book that talks about, uh, you know, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that and the not, not, nots. And she says, trust the program. Respect the disease, but trust the program. And and that's when I started having a positive recovery rather than a negative recovery and found out all the things that I am doing that I can do, not what I can't do. Uh, those great people who've taken me aside and said, oh, you know, why don't you try this or think about this or at a at a meeting at a, a speaker meeting or something, somebody will say something and it's like, Wow, I'm gonna oh wow. And sometimes it's at a meeting and it's somebody who for the last ten meetings I'm sitting there going, I don't understand why they can't get sober. I mean I don't understand, and then they come up with some real wisdom that I needed to hear. So they were there for me. Um, my daughter, uh, when I came into the program, had changed her name to her maid mother's maiden name. She was up so upset with me. Um, about this time, we started coming around. I made my amends to my children and gave them each an essay pamphlet and said, I'm not going to explain the details, but, um, you know, I'm in this program. And um, they started, uh, we started growing closer and more open. And um, about um, three years after that, my oldest son's, called me and said, Dad, um, my wife found my um, internet site. Um, I'm going to counseling, and the counselor says I need an SA program. I need to go to SA. Um, 
it's a family disease, and whether we like it or not, we pass things on. At least I did. Um, I um, uh, he he uh, has worked the program through his church. It is a spiritual program, and he's working it through his church. And uh, but this last year, he was out visiting here and went to his first SA meeting with me. Um, was cool. Uh, if 50 years ago you said, oh, yeah, and you're going to have a son, and, and he's going to go to Sexaholics Anonymous with you because he needs to, um, I don't think I'd have said it's cool. But uh, it's cool. Uh, it's been... It's been a great journey. Um, I started doing like five meetings a week and driving 110 miles to get to the meetings. Or if I was in another part of the state, swinging around for a meeting and then driving home and and put lots of miles on my car. Uh, we had um, we've had wonderful people. We've had a few crazy people in the meetings. One woman that um, you she would go out to coffee with us and you had to be real careful what you said or she would just explode um, one man that uh, we know he um, um, had killed somebody in, in anger and uh, um at, at one point, he kind of uh, went off his medication and was um, started to rant and rail. And uh, I was chairing the meeting, and I had no idea what to do. And uh, one of the members, a longer term, just uh, stood up and said, I think we should close this meeting. Grabbed hand, stuck her hand out, grabbed a hand, and said, Our Father. Art in heaven, and everybody just stood up, said the Our Father, and we walked out, uh, diffused everything. So uh, I can be the chair of a meeting, but uh, somebody else can step in and help me if they need to. Um, um, I... Um, When I came into the program, I thought life couldn't get any better than this. It was so terrible. And now I think life can't get any better than this, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. Uh, I, I, I think of... Um, um, sharing the, the message... Uh, being able to go out to uh, the Fort Sill, the Army base, to the helpers' mess, and and share with with um, um, counselors and uh, um, chaplains to go to a counseling office and share with the counselors there uh, the message. Um, I've been privileged to be able to travel some. I was in. Uh, Kind of early in recovery, I was in Miami, or I was in, in the other side of Florida, but uh, found out there was a meeting in Miami 
His central office had a record of it. And so I contacted the man, and he said, I'll meet you at Pollo, Chicken Pollo, whatever. Um, I'll have on a straw hat. And so I drove across Alligator Alley for two hours and got there and met him. We ate. I followed him to a church. We walked around the back. He unlocked the church. He opened the door. We went in. He turned the lights on, got the got uh, some chairs set up, got the literature out, and we got ready to start the meeting. And he says, it's so good to have somebody else at this meeting. He said, I've been having this meeting now for six weeks, and you're the first other person. Um, that's dedication. I uh, was in um, Mongolia, and um, they opened two AA meetings to so that I could share my SA story. And uh, I had to share through a translator. I had a college student who I quickly explained what I was going to talk about, and he kind of, okay. And so I started telling my story, and he was translating the problem, and people are sitting there shaking their heads going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, I'm in Mongolia. I'm talking to Mongolian alcoholics and they're going uh -huh, I can relate to you yeah that it, it's phenomenal anyway he could um, translate the problem without any any trouble and then um, got into the solution and he was having trouble translating the solution and the translator for the group had to step in and take over and translate the solution. Um, don't realize we, we actually use other language when we're talking about recovery than when we're talking about the disease. Uh, I was in uh, Peru, and uh, a member came to the airport. I had about four hours, five hours uh, layover and he came to the airport and we sat and talked and visited and just talked program stuff this last year I was in Panama and a loner in Panama contacted him and uh, he came and picked me up and we went out and ate and he took me to see the sites and we visited and talked and just were one I have family all over this world. Was in Kenya uh, two years ago. Another member and I went to Kenya to help uh, support their program and try and get them ready for what they thought might be an influx of people. And um, <sighs> we're the same. My insides don't have to match your outsides but my insides sure do match a lot of people's insides and I am so thankful 
Not that I have had sex with animals, vegetables, minerals, people, and everything else, but that God can use those experiences to help other people because there are other people who are going to have those same experiences. And and my past can be used. Wow. Was in Germany at the German SA convention, and they had a couple of breakout meetings in English so that I could attend and understand. Was able to um, put on a weekend in Holland for essays. Wow. Life is so good. Um, Life can't get any better, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. I tried to work, work, work. I was at the church working. I was in everybody's uh, face working and changing and doing and whatever, and nothing happened. When I let go, let God take care of it. I don't have to have a bucket list. All I have to do is let go and let God do my bucket list. Uh, I have a loving God who knows me so much better than I know me and who lets me go to the middle of Mongolia, to the mountains of Papua New Guinea, to uh, an Eskimo village, and uh, lets me go there and be safe. Let's me be in Thailand and be safe and sober so that I can share. I think um, I think that's about it. I uh, thank you for letting me have a chance to share my recovery, um, to share a little bit about um, how this wonderful program has worked in my life. How um, and and it didn't happen by just going to one meeting a week or two meetings a week. I had to go to internationals. I had to go to regional conferences. I had to go to state conferences in Texas or uh, that. Um, I, If I'm traveling, I connect with the central office or I look on the buddy list or I look on the Internet and find where there are meetings so that I can go to Anchorage and go to the meetings there and um, meet new family and new friends. Um, go to Panama and be the first visitor for a meeting. Um, so I'm going to keep coming back. Thanks. Thank you, Dave. That was awesome. Um, so if you are feeling okay, i got some questions I'd like to ask. Is that all right? That would be fine. Crosstalk works sometimes. <laughs> okay. 
First off, a real quick question. You mentioned conventions versus conferences, and uh, uh, evidently there's a difference. I'm not exactly sure what it is. Can you tell me? <laughs> I wish I could. Uh, is that something to do with the business meeting? There, there, there is a there is a difference, and and I'm not sure what it is, but. Um, uh, it might be the fact that that one has a business meeting and the other one doesn't. Uh, and and we do have two conventions. Uh, we have the SA convention and the SNN convention, and they are two separate conventions held at the same time. Uh, right. Okay. So, um, no, I'm not sure the difference. I just know there there was a change. And and there is a difference. Oh, I didn't say I was trustee or then. No, yeah, and I'm about to ask you about the, the oh, history of oh, central man. office and the service structure. Is there anything you can say? I mean, go back as early as you can if you if you're willing and, and, and just kind of what you remember and then kind of try to, you know, step through to the present if if you know, whatever speed you like. Well, I uh, all I remember is hearing about um, the office in in Roy's garage and that, and um, you know, I uh, I was not really involved with uh, central office until it moved to Nashville, and uh, then I started doing a little more service work and. Um, uh, convention work and uh, contacting them about things and getting literature. Uh, central office has it is so it is so important that we do employ special workers and that we have some people who have a corporate history in mind, you know, to have Kay and um, Laura and mm -hmm, to have the ladies there uh, that, oh, well, we went through that about two years ago or, yeah, we did that last year or, well, we tried that. Uh, that's so important. And having a written history in that to be able to look up things, but just have that corporate history. Um, to be able to uh, call up and say, do you know of a loner in so-and-so? Well, I think we had a phone call from somebody. Let me check. Uh, that has just been so important uh, to have that support. Um, we had a thing come up at the Wichita retreat just um, this weekend. We're not sure. We were electing delegates and we're not sure how many we're supposed to have and so we look in the handbook well you got to have a uh, hundred people or 101 and then 150 and 151 and and we're counting meetings and oh we don't, we don't we'll fool. <laughs> you know we've got three maybe we should only have two and i thought we were supposed to have four uh, so we'll call k in the morning and say k we have we have numbers and we have uh, the hand, the service handbook, but uh, we've got a 2007 variety. Uh, 
have things changed since then? Uh, also, to have central office uh, represented at the conventions um, to, um, for one thing, to be a voice outside of SA uh, and having the non-sexaholic trustees has been so great to have a, a voice outside of SA that uh, can look at things because we, at least I look at things differently than most of the world. Um, you know, I, I think of the um, the last Oklahoma convention we had, and I say that in two ways. One, it was the last one we had, and it will be the last one we have for a while, um, because we um, uh, we lost money. The uh, person uh, in charge of some of the areas didn't realize that uh, on all the meals we had sales tax, um, that um, there were some other expenses and things. And so we were $6,000 in the hole. And all of a sudden it's, how are we going to pay that? And so Kay was there able to say, okay, well, no, this could be done or that could be done. And, you know, to be, to be able to look at it in a little different way because she's worked with lots of conventions. Um, but it ended up that um, some of us had to put in some pretty sizable chunk of our own money. And no, we chose to put in a, a our own money to um, bail it out. And um, uh, so to have have that kind of knowledge there has been so great. Um, to um, uh, and, and to have them available if we're doing a, uh, a committee meeting and we want to have a, a secretary or, you know, a secretary there to transcribe the meeting, then Kay will attend. Uh, if we need a phone call, she'll come up with it. Um, it's it's really great. Right. Well, thank you. Um, you've already mentioned um, some people who were your sponsors along the way. Um, I just wondered a couple of, oh, uh, a little factual thing. Was your first meeting the same as your sobriety date? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. So I Which, just wanted to get with him. I don't understand. And um, it was a gift. I have the gift of sobriety. I didn't work to get it. It was a gift. I did my part. I attended the meeting. I did my part. I listened. I did my part, and when I thought about maybe acting out, I said, no, I'm not going to. But it was a gift. And uh, I don't think I can change that to 
Uh, well, my birthday was two days later, and that's when I really feel sober. I can't change it to say, well, you know, I kind of messed up. I think I need to make it this date. God gave me that date, and that's my date. So I have to keep it unless I throw it away. End of that lecture. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you've already shared a little about the folks that sponsored you. I just wondered if uh, any of them are still alive, if you would, uh, if you were able to uh, say any of their names or even tell a story about, uh, about them uh, beyond the, the, those that you've already told. Uh, my first sponsor, um, gee, I wish I remembered his name, <laughs> uh, is no longer in the program that I know of. Uh, my second sponsor was, um, kind of short term, but he was the young man who had uh, the shorter term sobriety and, uh, he has chosen to leave the program. Uh, golly. Okay. I had another sponsor. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, he's, I think he's still sober, but I um, I don't think he's at, at meetings anymore, but he had a long-term sobriety here in Oklahoma. And um, um, was, um, yeah, he's still alive and was um, an interesting person. We'd go into a restaurant and he'd take his book and leave it face up. And we'd say, <clears throat> could you turn your book over? You no, know, God's in control of things. If the waitress needs to see it, then that means she needs to know about it. We, yeah, but it's about our anonymity. <laughs> and, uh, um, but anyway, uh, and then after I had about five years of sobriety, uh, I was having trouble finding what I wanted um, here. Uh, you know, someone with more recovery than I hear. And um, so I um, wanted to get a sponsor from someplace. And um, I prayed about it, and I went to a convention, and I put a note on the board that I needed a roommate and uh, got... Um, Got a roommate who was an ex-Marine from California, tough, and I was kind of, okay, is God telling me to ask him to be my sponsor? I didn't want that. I want somebody gentle and nice, and uh, so he was my sponsor. He has, uh, he chose to interrupt his sobriety, and get in a, a relationship um, and um, so for the last six seven years David M has been my sponsor maybe longer than that maybe 10 years um, 
In fact, David was uh, and his wife were driving through from Portland to um, see the museum in in Benton, Arkansas, and then on to um, the East Coast. And they stopped last Sunday and had dinner with me, which was really cool. Got to entertain my sponsor. I um, I strongly uh, recommend uh, having local sponsorship um, for the first number of years uh, to attend uh, to be able to attend meetings with your sponsor and they can look at you face to face. After that, um, you know, I'm, I think long term or long distance sponsorship works. At least it has for me. Thank you. How about um, uh, the White Book, History of the White Book? Um, you mentioned the book when you came in in 1990. Was it already fully formed as we know it today, or, or has it gone through some uh, uh No, no. Yeah, the the white book was in the form we know today, except most of them being sold were um, had the cover on them. I mean, the the printed cover, uh, of which I really took exception with because I thought um, um, it just graphically was very sexually explicit. Um, and I, I, I thought that was just terrible. Uh, I may be the only one in the world. But then I looked at everything as a sexual picture <laughs> and saw, um, saw sex in everything. Uh, we had the white book and we had Recovery Continues and um, a couple other little pamphlets. And that was it. Um, and uh, at least here in Oklahoma, we have used the White Book and then the AA Big Book and the 12 and 12 uh, as texts for our meetings. Um, I have the original book that I bought. Um, it's marked up. It started out black and white. And I used my highlighter and used it and used it and marked where we stopped on dates and things. And so it's all marked up and it's now in Technicolor. And that's kind of the story of my life. It started black and white and now it's Technicolor. Um, My book goes almost everywhere with me. Um... And uh, I took the white book to Mongolia. They are now translating it in Mongolian. Uh, I, it, it's just divine writing to me. Uh, it has so spoken exactly to me. And um, there are a few places in there. It doesn't mention the Internet, and it says, some people even subscribe to long-distance telephone calling. Um, but there are things in the AA book that are a little outdated. Uh, 
or um, culturally um, from for one area, but um, we'll deal with that. We'll live through it. Um, and so the only change that has been made is the um, um, the Cleveland definition being added to it and um, new address put on the back of it um, where the SA office is and the fact that almost all of them sold now are white books <clears throat> the pure white cover there has been uh, controversy with the white book and um, and the other literature on how much it in how much it really costs to produce and how much we sell them for and are we funding uh, and, and of course that question is different now that we don't have the white book or recovery continues in our um, catalog uh, but other literature uh, on whether we should be selling it at a cost or whether we should be making a profit on it and it should be a money maker for the organization. Um, that's been kind of an ongoing discussion. Thank you. Okay. Um, I'm almost done. I have one little thing to close with. Um, um, uh, uh, Ed, did you have any questions that you wanted to add? Um, just one, the, uh, the question about, uh, what's the most amazing experience you've had in SA? I was afraid you were going to ask me that. <laughs> I whatever think... you want to with it, you've already done great. I think the most amazing thing is that Saturday morning, November 24th, 1990, I made it to the meeting sober. I don't know why. I didn't have a sponsor. I didn't have any literature. I had no phone numbers. You said that. But right? I had. I had hope, and that was the most important thing. Um, just as a, an aside, uh, when we have newcomers, um, we usually, we often do a newcomer meeting. Because our meetings are kind of small. If it's a bigger meeting, we'll take two or three people out and take them. You know, they'll take the newcomer and talk to them. But we have a newcomer meeting, and we read uh, to the newcomer, and one person shares their story, what it was like, what it's like now, and why. And um, this last time, we had a newcomer, and we just had a couple other newcomers. And... Um, so we have this young man, and all three of these guys are like under 30, 35, which is amazing, too. Anyway, um, 
the old timer gave his story. And then I looked at the two newcomers, you know, within a month, people, and said, what brought you back? Why did you come back this week? And I think that helped the newest newcomer as much as the other stories. That's neat. Yeah. So. Okay, Dave, you've already given an awful lot, um, um, and I'm very we're, we're grateful uh, for that. Um, I want to just try and see if I can jog your memory one last time. And and uh-huh. you're you're already coming up on on uh, 24 years, so you definitely qualify as an old timer. And I'd love it if you could remember maybe one little story uh, about the, the the folks that were old timers when you were uh, new in the fellowship. You've already mentioned a little bit about Roy. If you have a story about Roy or Jess or or anyone, if anything comes to mind, nothing comes to mind. You like I say, you've already done enough. But just just oh. Stories of old timers. Uh, I, th- I think of Gordon. Gordon, bless his heart, he was in the Merchant Marine, and Gordon learned to talk in the Merchant Marines. Uh, he um, he was an alcoholic, and I think a low-bottom alcoholic, and a man of the street. And once in a blue moon, they would ask Gordon to speak. And when Gordon would speak, he'd usually come up with something so graphic. And we're all going, Gordon, no! (laughs) Uh, And it just wasn't safe to ask him to speak. He had lots of wisdom, and you could talk to him one-on-one. But as a speaker, even though he had a heart of gold, it just wasn't safe. Um, I, I think of Jess L. Standing up uh talking um, um, giving a pitch for the seventh tradition and he got in his billfold and he pulled out a hundred dollar bill and he says i want you to look at this looks pretty big doesn't it i paid more than that for the tie i'm wearing I'd be pretty chintzy if I put anything less than this in the pot. He says, if I can wear an $800 suit to the convention and speak, and by the way, speakers in those days always wear a suit and tie if they were speaking. They respected the convention and they respected the audience and they wore a suit and tie. Uh, when they were speaking. Anyway, he says, if I can pay $800 for a, you know, or pay what I paid for my shoes, break it out. And I think we had a pretty good collection that year. Um, 
They were each one so special. When did Gordon leave us? Um, I'm not sure. I think Gordon died last year. Okay. But it was two or three years um, that he had not been coming to meetings. But people still have the 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 core the knot uh, monkey knot and the marble that he did. Um, yes, I've got one. And you know, yeah. And as I do my strings and things, uh, that kind of validates that it's okay for me to do my strings. I'm kind of carrying on what Gordon carries on. Um, Jean P. and her statement, I can never be sufficiently grateful for this program. How many people have picked that up? I don't know. Maybe she didn't. Maybe somebody got it. She got it from somebody else. But I can never be sufficiently grateful for my sobriety. Um Just um, and and then um, and Harvey and Sylvia, who we still have, and are are just such treasures for us. And Jean, who's done so much for this fellowship as a trustee, but also just um, in in so many ways. Of, um, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, and. Um, what took Roy uh, years to do took some of them fewer years and has taken some of us fewer than that so that, um, you know, these 30-somethings can come in uh, or 20-somethings can come in and um, learn and relate and uh, not have to go through the pain that we had to go through not have to go through all that junk. Well, it's just pretty exciting. And I, I made a list of a few things that I wanted to try and cover. And I think I, I think I covered everything I wanted to. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks for letting Thank it be open, open-ended, and and um, have the time to um, um, to to just ramble. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.